With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash acquire. That's linkedin.com slash acquire. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome to Money for the Rest of Us. This is a personal finance show on money, how it works, how to invest it, and how to live without worrying about it. I'm your host, David Stein. Today is episode 286. It's titled, The Coronavirus, The Financial Impact of Pandemics. The coronavirus, the most recent novel strain, was first reported in late December. Now it is growing exponentially. Financial markets are reacting. Bond yields have fallen. Stock market has sold off. There's a great deal of uncertainty in terms of the cost to human life. In this episode, we're going to look at what has been the financial impact of prior pandemics. What is done about it? Why is there so much uncertainty? And should there be something that we do in terms of our investment portfolio, given what is going on right now? First, the difference between an epidemic and a pandemic is an epidemic is a Sudden increase in the number of cases of a disease, generally within a specific geographic area, whereas a pandemic is an epidemic that has spread over several countries and continents. That's according to the Center for Disease Control and Prevention. The coronavirus, now that it has spread to more than, I believe, 10 countries, It's a pandemic. Most of the cases, the vast majority of cases are in China. The largest pandemic in the modern era was the 1918 influenza pandemic. It was caused by an H1N1 virus with genes of avian origin. It's estimated that about 500 million people, or one-third of the world's population, was infected with this virus. 50 million worldwide deaths, about 675,000 in the U.S. The mortality rate, if you got the disease, 10% of those that caught this flu virus passed away. That was 1% to 3% of the world's population. It was made worse because there was no vaccine no antibiotics. So all that could be done was to isolate, quarantine, limit public gatherings, and personal hygiene, washing hands. To put that into context, just under 1% of the world's population dies each year, most from natural causes. But that flu pandemic in 1918 up to 3% of the world's population died just from that disease. Now, there have been other pandemics since then, 1968. Influenza A, the H3N2 virus. One million people worldwide caught this virus. 100,000 in the U.S. And about 0.03% of the world's population passed away. 
So much lower than 1918, which when it was 1% to 3% of the world's population. In 2009, there was another novel influenza A H1N1 virus known as the swine flu. 61 million cases in the U.S., 12,469 deaths. So the mortality rate, 0.02% versus 10% for the 1918 influenza pandemic. Roughly 130 to 500,000 individuals passed away around the world, 0.001% of the world's population. We've had some pandemics. Now, there are other virus-related epidemics. The SARS, which is most closely related to the current coronavirus, that broke out in 2003, 8,000 cases, but the fatality rate was 9.6%. The MERS virus in 2012, about 2,500 cases. Fatality rate, 34%. That originated, like SARS, in East Asia. Ebola, 2014, 29,000 cases, 50% fatality rate. And the Zika virus in 2015, over 100,000 cases, the fatality rate was 8.3%. Pandemics are just part of life. They're unfortunate. Many of them arrive, such as the current coronavirus, from interaction with animals. The Economist reports that the virus probably originated with bats and passed through mammals, many of which were in Wuhan's wet market. Wuhan is the city where the virus was first detected. A wet market is a market where wild animals are sold and they're slaughtered on the premises. Last Thursday, January 30th, the World Health Organization declared a health emergency related to the coronavirus. Their most recent situation report, dated February 3rd, I'm recording this on February 4th, had 17,391 confirmed cases. 17,238 were in China, so 153 outside of China. Of those 17,000 plus cases in China, about 2,300 were considered severe And there have been 361 deaths in China. There there has been one death outside of China. The mortality rate is 2 to 2.5% at this point. But as David Heyman of the London School of Hygiene and Tropical Medicine stated, we are in the fog of war phase of this particular disease. What the World Health Organization and other medical staff, and scientists are trying to determine is how bad will it get. And to do that, they first need to know how deadly it is. What is the fatality rate? Right now, it's been 2 to 2.5%. Some models, such as work by Gabriel Lung and Joseph Wu at the University of Hong Kong, suggest that this is as of January 25th, as reported in The Economist, that the number of infections in Wuhan is closer to 44,000, which means many of them are mild 
in which case the fatality rate could be much less, as low as 0.1%. 0.1% would be about as deadly as the common flu in the U.S. On that note, CNBC reports that this flu season, there have been 19 million cases in the U.S., about 10,000 deaths, which equates to a mortality rate of 0.05%. Now, medical professionals and scientists are trying to figure out how deadly the coronavirus will be and then how contagious. And that will be determined as those that are sick arrive at hospitals and they can see what patterns emerge in terms of how people became infected. For example, The Economist points out if most of the newly infected people are healthcare workers or relatives of the sick, that would mean that the virus isn't necessarily transmitted by casual contact. Got to be much more close proximity. They want to see how it spreads and what treatments and prevention mechanisms work to contain the pandemic. The recent situation report by the World Health Organization, they write they are seeking to address crucial unknowns regarding clinical severity, the extent of transmission and infection, treatment options, and the ability to accelerate the development of diagnostics, therapeutics, and vaccines. So they're working on that. But right now, we don't know how severe it will be from a health standpoint, because they're still trying to determine how deadly it is, how contagious, how it spreads, and what treatment mechanisms work the best. What about the economic and financial impact? Well, the first thing that's hit when there's a pandemic is tourism. Capital Economics reports that passenger transport volumes Air, train, car travel are down 25 to 40 percent in China from last year. This is during the Lunar New Year holiday. This particular pandemic hit during that. So fortunately, many of the factories were closed in China. But that's when people travel to go see family and to take trips overseas. And so the regional impact on tourism will certainly impact China domestically, but also countries in close proximity where many Chinese tourists would go. Thailand, Hong Kong, Cambodia. The second impact is the supply chain impact. There are a number of countries that export products that are used in manufacturing to China and that get inputs from China sent to them as part of their manufacturing base. Vietnam, Taiwan, Malaysia, South Korea, Thailand... Supply chain has about 14 to 25 percent of the gross value added, which is the value of goods and services produced connected to China. Either they're importing inputs or they're exporting inputs as part of the supply chain. There will certainly be additional impact on commodity suppliers if the Chinese economy slows significantly because they can't open the factories due to the pandemics. And that would impact Australia, South Africa, and Chile that are big exporters of commodities to China. And then there's just the demand from the Chinese consumer and businesses, not only as part of manufacturing, but 
buying finished goods. And that impacts other emerging market countries, Germany and Japan. The biggest difference between the coronavirus today and the SARS virus back in 2003 is that China's economy is much bigger as a percent of the overall world economy. China's gross domestic product is just under 20% of the world's gross domestic product, GDP being the monetary value of output produced. Back in 2003, China was only about 9%. This is data from Capital Economics. China exports 14% of the world's goods today versus around 6% in 2003. The Chinese make up 14% of the world's air passengers versus about 5% in 2003. And China's market capitalization, the size of their stock market, is about 10% of the world's, where it was about 1% back in 2003. So there is a financial impact as stocks and commodities sell off. Commodities, oil and copper, have fallen over 10%. The global stock market has declined about 0.8% year-to-date. Asian stocks are down 3.8%. Europe, 2.6%. America, including the U.S., are actually still positive at just under 1%. Emerging markets have fallen 5%, including China, which is down about 5%. But Chinese A shares, which trade within China on local Chinese exchanges, are down 12%. Now, that was through February 3rd. As I record this today, on the 4th of February, the market's up 1.7%. So markets have sold off, but not tremendously so. Bond yields have fallen. Interest rates have fallen about 0.3%. You actually are seeing high-yield bonds or non-investment-grade bonds. Their incremental yield or spread has actually widened a little bit. Before we continue, let me pause and share some words from this week's sponsors. Sometimes it's just nice to sit back, relax, maybe even take a nap. That's not what you want your money to be doing. You want it to be working hard for you, earning interest, generating returns. That's where the Betterment Automated Investing and Savings app can help. Betterment's technology gives you advanced tools that are built to help you maximize returns. They have diversified portfolios of low-cost ETFs that have been constructed by experts. High-yield cash accounts, where your money can earn 11 times the national average. And automated investing technology, like automated rebalancing. These tools can help you reach your savings and investing goals. Betterment is a fiduciary. That means it's their job to act in your best interest. They will never recommend an investment or give you guidance unless they believe it will help you reach your financial goals. So visit Betterment.com to get started. Learn more about the high-yield cash accounts at Betterment.com. Investing involves risk, performance not guaranteed, cash reserves offered through Betterment LLC and Betterment Securities. Betterment is not a bank. When you're hiring for your small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role. That's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs has the tools to help find the right professionals for your team faster and for free. I know in our business, having the right candidates for the job is critical to keep our business running smoothly. Now, LinkedIn isn't just another job board. LinkedIn has a vast network of more than a billion professionals, which makes it the best place to hire. It gives you access to professionals you can't find anywhere else. 
LinkedIn does all that while making the process easy and intuitive. Hiring is easy when you have that many quality candidates. So easy, in fact, that 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. LinkedIn is constantly finding ways to make the process easier. They even just launched a feature that helps you write job descriptions, making the process even easier and quicker. So post your job for free at linkedin.com slash David. That's linkedin.com slash David to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. Last Thursday, as I mentioned, January 30th, the World Health Organization declared a global health emergency. What Ned Davis Research did is they looked at six other cases of global health emergencies, starting back in 2003 with SARS, and they found that once the World Health Organization declares a health emergency, that's typically the bottom of the sell-off. In other words, it's a lagging indicator. On average, stocks were, were down leading up to the health emergency, and then they began to rise after it was announced. Likewise, bond yields tended to fall prior to the announcement, and then they stabilized. So it hasn't been a situation where things have gotten much worse after the health emergency is declared. Now, one of the things to recognize is that it isn't just pandemics that are impacting the market. The context of when the pandemic occurred For example, the swine flu occurred in 2009 during the great financial crisis. And in that environment, stocks were much less expensive than they are today. And then the economy was starting to improve, just showing early signs. The environment today is we're 10 years in to a bull market. The economy is starting to show some improvement. We've been in a slowing pattern for over a year. But the economy has not fallen off of a cliff in the sense that recession risk has not spiked. It's a risk that's out there, but it hasn't been imminent. And over the last several months, we have seen a bottoming of the economy, which is a good thing, probably going to be delayed a little bit, depending on how bad this coronavirus pandemic is. But valuations are much higher than they were in 2009. So investors could use this pandemic as a reason to sell and take profits, and that could put pressure on stocks so they fall even further. We don't know. Central banks are beginning to take action. Last week, the People's Bank of China cut its seven-day reverse repo rate down to 2.4% from 2.5. That's their second reduction in this easing cycle. They first cut that rate about five basis points last quarter. The prime rate that banks charge consumers and businesses is tied to that repo rate. We discussed repurchase agreements, repos, last week. Banks in China use those for funding. And so if the People's Bank of China is cutting rates, that potentially allows businesses and individuals to borrow more cheaply. It's important to recognize that the Federal Reserve has never cut rates in response to a pandemic. And so things would have to get much, much worse for them to do so this time. Capital Economics estimates that the Chinese economy in the first quarter, which will have an impact because of the delay in opening factories, the growth will likely fall to 3% year over year from about 
5% year-over-year growth in the fourth quarter of 2019. So it will definitely have an impact. It'll be less so around the world. But generally what happens with pandemics is you get an initial hit to the economy because people are not shopping like they should. They're, they're afraid to go out. They don't travel like they typically do. Production slows down. But then about a year later, the, generally speaking, the economy rebounds back to trend. So it doesn't have a permanent impact if the virus can be contained. They're already working on vaccines and other mechanisms to, to treat it. And as we've seen, at least initially, the mortality rate has been 2%, which is high, but much less than some of the more concentrated pandemics we've seen recently, like Zika, Ebola, and MERS, where the fatality rate was 10% to up to 50%. I had a member of Money for the Rest of Us Plus email me and ask, is there investment opportunities tied to this in terms of has the market sold off enough to where perhaps a cheaper entry point? And the reality is no. We're still putting together this month's investment conditions report. Valuations are a little lower than they were at the beginning of January, but not tremendously so. About average across the board. And so it hasn't created a very attractive entry point in terms of valuations. There's not been that level of panic yet. This is just Markets are down less than 1% year-to-date globally. Now, emerging markets have sold off more, but they were slightly above average in terms of their valuations a month ago. So again, they're not significantly cheap to say, wow, we need to get in and increase our allocation, particularly given the level of uncertainty. Now, if there had been a more severe sell-off, it would be a calculated wager to increase risk recognizing generally pandemics are contained and the economies rebound back to trend after the initial hit and stock market tends to go up after there's been a health emergency declared by the World Health Organization. So we'll see. The takeaway is we hate to see the heartache and the deaths and the sickness related to these pandemics. But at this point, while we don't know for sure, history suggests that the pandemic will be contained and that there will not be a permanent impact on the economy or financial markets. That then is episode 286. You can get show notes for this episode at moneyfortherestofus.com. While you're there, Please sign up for my free weekly insider's guide email, and I'll email you those links along with an essay I do on money investing in the economy. That just goes to that email list. That's the only place I share that. You can sign up for that at moneyfortherestofus.com. Everything I've shared with you in this episode has been for general education. I'm not considered your specific risk situation. I've not provided investment advice. This is simply general education on money, investing, and the economy. Have a great week.